Oh, hey, what's up, Calvary? How you doing? Good to see you guys again. And yeah, I am a 49ers fan. And what I'm hoping is that if you'll pray for me and pray for our team, we'll do you a solid and beat the Packers this Saturday, if that's all right with you. I do, uh, I, I, I hail from, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was born in Texas, moved to Tulsa when, uh, when, when my parents did, when I was two and a half years old. Anyway, for those of you who don't remember, i married to my wife, Heather, for, I don't know, 22 years. We've got five kids. Not because we love kids, but we're just poor planners. <laughs> and um, anyway, hey, I want to I share with you out of Acts 13 tonight, if you brought a Bible, and I hope that you did. Um, we're going to read through kind of the beginning and end uh, of the chapter. I want to kind of give you the, the setup and then the conclusion, and I'll kind of fill in the details in the middle there. I, I'm not, honestly, one of these pastors who, um, I'm, I'm just not the hypiest kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not real excitable or, or whatever you want to say about like that kind of preaching style. And it's fine if, if that's what you like, but that's just not who I am. And maybe there'll be other speakers over the next couple of days that are, are more that way. But how many of you know inspiration lasts for a moment? Revelation can change your life. And so what I hope to do tonight is to kind of go to the scripture because it's really the source of all life. That's where we start. That's where we finish as followers of Christ. And so um, we're going to look at uh, a word out of Acts chapter 13 that um, I preached to my church just a couple of weeks ago as we kind of started our year. And as Calvary kind of kicks off this new season when Pastor Marty uh, texted me a little more than a week ago and said, hey, I need you to kind of fill in for me um, on, on this revival. Any chance you can do it? I was like, looked at my calendar. I'm like, yeah, I, I knew immediately what I would preach um, because of the new season and what it means that you're gathering together. You're going to see some parallels here in Acts chapter 13 that I think will be really um, meaningful for us tonight. Um, But as we step into a new season, and as we're kind of hoping that 2022, come on somebody, will be a little bit of a new season, right? And so um, let's look at the first four verses of Acts 13, and then we'll look at the last 10 verses. So we're going to read 1 through 4, and then 42 through 52, and I think there'll be slides. So we'll just, we'll we'll take that by faith and see. All right, here we go. Um, In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers called Barnabas and Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who would later um, be known as the Apostle Paul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they're fasting, praying, worshiping, seeking God, and the Spirit speaks and says, hey, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, and I'm going to send them on a missionary journey. So they do. They go out to Cyprus. They end up in Pamphylia, and they encounter opposition. You can read it here throughout this uh, whole chapter. They encounter uh, people who are opposed to them, both non-believers and Jews who are opposed to their message, them sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we'll pick it up in verse 42. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, 
who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they had been sharing the gospel. People are starting to respond. On the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it uh, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. That's quite a statement. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Verse 49, then the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak to us out of these scriptures. Speak to us a word for this time, this place, this people, this congregation. Lord, help me to be present right here, right now, to speak what you've put on my heart to say to your church here gathered in Naperville. Um, Father, I pray for them that their spiritual eyes and ears would be open to hear from you. You want to speak to us tonight. That's why we're gathered here in a church on a Thursday night when it's like nothing degrees outside. Lord, we're gathered to hear from you and we expect you to speak. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit through these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. Acts uh, 13 represents something of a shift in the book of Acts. If you've read through the book of Acts before, you kind of know how the flow of the book works. It starts off with Peter and the disciples. Really, Peter is kind of the focus and the church at Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes, of course, in Acts chapter two. There are miracles. The church starts to expand and grow. By Acts chapter 13, though, the story is shifting and changing. It moves away from Jerusalem. It moves away from Peter and now to Paul and really his missionary journeys to the Gentiles. And so here we see the church in something of a new season. And that's really where we're at. In fact, that's why I think this is so appropriate. In fact, every time, when, in the way that we're preaching right now at Church on the Move, the church where I pastor is, we're working through the book of Acts. We preach the first half of it in the fall. We're preaching the, back, the, the second half of it um, from basically now until till Easter. And it's amazing how every time when I come to the scriptures, we, we don't plan these sermons out like months in advance. Of course, we know we're going to be preaching through the book of Acts, but I don't have like a sermon written months ago that goes, oh, this will be perfect for the new year. And yet as I open the scriptures, this is what I love about the scripture, is that it's alive and relevant for our present moment. And when I look at this and I go, what does Acts chapter 13 have to do with a new year? I find the church in a new season. And I ask myself, well, then what are they doing? And what does it mean? And this is really relevant for us. What does it mean to follow God into a new season? What can I expect? If you're looking for 2022 to be something of a new season for you, what could you expect? How do you follow God into a new season? Three things 
I want to share with you tonight that I think are really relevant about following God into new seasons. Number one is this. God speaks to those who listen. Notice how Acts chapter 13 begins. In fact, let me put my glasses back on and read it again. Just the first couple of verses. What are they doing? How does it happen? It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They were seeking God in a new season, and this is what it is to step into a new season. They were worshiping and fasting. Fasting has been getting a lot more attention these days, primarily for the health benefits that go on or that come with it. Perhaps you've been doing intermittent fasting to start the year, and there's reasons for this. It you know, mitigates your, your hunger and all of those types of things, and there's lots of health benefits for it, but this is not the reason why they're fasting. The biblical practice of fasting is the practice of setting aside something good, food. Setting aside something necessary in food. I mean, how many of you know we need food to live? It's necessary. But we set it aside and the disciples are setting it aside saying this is good and this is necessary, but I'm setting aside something good and necessary for something even more necessary that is to hear from God. And that's what it means to be worshiping and fasting. That's why I applaud what you're doing here, this revival to start the year. All of you gathering into this room and those of you watching online, seeking God to hear him speak at the beginning of the year because God wants to speak, we just have to listen. Amen. I get in trouble sometimes in my house with my wife for not listening fully to what it is that she's saying. My wife is a bit of a slow talker. Some people like to kind of gush out their words. My wife has a hard time putting all of her words together in sequence, and so it takes some time for her to get it out. So sometimes while I'm sitting there listening to her say, you know, I think that we should, what? Go to Cancun, go to marriage counseling, go, go, go see what, like wh wh what is it that you're going to say in the spaces where she's not speaking? I sometimes think I could get something else done like send a text to a friend. <laughs> Apparently you know more about relationships than I do. And I get in trouble with her. She sees me grab my phone or my iPad or do something else, glance away at whatever else is going on in the room and she cuts off whatever it is that she's going to say. She knows that I'm insatiably curious, so she's like, mm, that's it. She walks away and she goes, never mind. And I'm like, no, please tell me, what is it that you were going to say? And she always does this. She looks at me and she goes, you've missed your chance. <laughs> I wonder how many of us are missing our chance hearing from God. I wonder how many of us, God wants to speak. Let me, let me go a step further. You need to hear God speak. You need to hear his voice. Why? Because you're a sheep. And I'm not saying that to, to try to offend you or run you down. It is the nature of how we were made. 
God is God, we are his creation. You were made as a dependent creature. Jesus said, you can do what? Nothing without me. Apart from me, he said, you can do nothing. Does that mean we'll accomplish nothing in our lives? No, many people are very busy and get a lot done, but apart from Christ, it amounts to nothing. So we need to be connected to his presence. We need to be connected to his voice if we're going to realize who it is that he's called, designed, and created us to be. Therefore, we need special seasons where we seek God to hear his voice. And when you sense that God is doing something new, when you sense that he's leading you into a new season, heck, when the calendar year shifts from 2021 to 2022 and you're entering into a new season, and that's the psychology of a new year. Isn't it funny how that works? Somehow all the diets that I want to do right now I had no interest in doing in November or December. Something about changing from December 31st to January 1st just changes our mentality. It's a new season. And when we enter those new seasons, these are opportunities to hear God's voice in a new way. But he won't speak if we don't listen. So how do you listen? Three things I wanna give you for how you listen to the voice of God. The first is this. If you wanna hear God speak, you first go to his word. If you wanna know what God is saying, read what God has already said. Some of us aren't hearing God speak because we're not reading what God has already said. And I can't tell you how many people I bump into these days. It's becoming more and more common when I ask, hey, tell me about how you read scripture. Tell me about your habit of reading scripture. I run into people who say this, I don't really like to read. And I'm like, well, bummer, because God didn't make a movie. <laughs> or a series, or a podcast. He, he happened to write a book. So can I just tell you, for those of you who go, man, I, I know I should be reading scripture. I don't really like to read. Can I just ch challenge you? Then you need to learn to like to read. Because God didn't make a movie. And he didn't record an album. He wrote a book. And he expects you to read it. This is part of being a sheep, is that you don't get to tell God how to do what it is that he does. He deposited a book and he goes, here it is. It's up to you to read it. So when you make time and you go, all right, God, I want to hear from you. I want to learn from you. You're going to have to set aside time in your life to hear what God has already said. Do you want to become wise? Do you want to become a person of integrity? Do you want to become a person acquainted with how God speaks? God speaks first and foremost through scripture. Get to know it. Read it. You need time and place in your life to be able to do that. Number two is this, God speaks through his community, through his church, through wise counsel. This is one of the things that I, I'm just, I'm increasingly puzzled by, and I'm seeing this happen, and I get it. The church is imperfect, like, like really imperfect. Churches have made a lot of mistakes, pastors have made a lot of mistakes. The church has hurt people. Pastors have hurt people. There's not been enough accountability within the church. I get all of that. I, I hear you. But we don't get to disconnect from the church because of its imperfections. Here's one of the things that you'll learn when you read this book is that God's never worked through perfect people. Amen. From the very beginning, everyone that God's used. Read about Abraham, messed up guy. Right. David, really messed up guy. 
Moses, messed up guy. Again and again and again, we find flawed, broken people in this book. But God chooses out of his grace and wisdom to work in and through flawed, broken people. You'll just be the next in a long line of flawed, broken people that God works through. So here's the thing about the church, and this is it. God has chosen, imperfect as it is, to work through the, the community of the church. I was with a, a young lady in our lobby a few weeks ago. I was there, kind of a group, and I was just kind of asking her her, her sort of church on the move story. I just had met her, was asking how long she'd been coming and whatever, and she said her parents had gone to church on the move, um, but her mom didn't go anymore. And I was like, oh man, what's up with that? You know, what, what happened? And, she was kind of explaining the, the story. She said, some, I, I go to my mom and I say, Mom, uh, you know, what about church? And she says, Honey, I have Jesus in my heart. You go to church. And then this is what I, I wonder about that. I'm like, well, you should have a conversation with Jesus because he started this whole thing. And maybe it doesn't exactly reflect everything that he wanted but it doesn't mean we get to give up on it. See, it's a very American individualistic idea that goes, oh, it's just me and God and that's how it'll be. No, when God calls you into relationship with him, he also calls you into relationship with his body, the body of Christ. And I think, yeah, and I think there's things God wants to speak to us and do in us that can only happen in community. For instance, how will you ever learn patience unless you're a part of a community that tests it? You laugh, I'm serious. See, the church is the gymnasium where you work out the fruit of the spirit. It's the body where you get to work these things out. So he calls us into a body. So not only do we get to be trained and developed and formed by the body, but also God speaks to us through the body. I got friends within our church. In fact, that's what I love most about Church on the Move is the community that I have there. This week we were in, in fact, I was, so I was at the 49ers Dallas game last weekend. I just had to make that happen because it's kind of close by. I went to that game and watched the Niners win and then uh, flew to Scott, Phoenix and we were kind of in Scottsdale. So we had a kind of an executive retreat there in Phoenix and it's ama amazing, just like, I, so I've come from earlier today, 70 degree weather to here. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm going back home to weather that's similar to this as well. But the, 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 for the few days that I was there in Scottsdale, I just kept making the joke, I'm, I'm, I'm retiring in like two years and moving here. This is phenomenal. I want to be in this. But I, I joke about that, but here's the reality. I don't know that I could pull myself away from all the relationships that I have. The, the family. See, a lot of people are going through life today, and they're struggling. And they're struggling alone. And the church is meant to be a place where you, you get counsel, where God can speak. I can't tell you how many times I've been up against it or not known what to do, and I pick up the phone and call a friend, and God speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks through them just exactly what I need to hear at, a present, at, the, at the moment that I need it. And yeah, this is a big room, and yeah, clearly this is a big church, but one of the problems with big churches is that you can remain anonymous, you're going to have to press past the showing up and sitting in rows and get into the depth of community that's available here so that you can really experience God speaking in close relationship. That means taking off your mask 
and being real and vulnerable with other people and allowing them to speak into your life, but that's the vulnerability of love. You can't experience love without becoming vulnerable yourself. That's why Jesus, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He made himself vulnerable so that we could love him and be loved in return. Same thing happens in the church community. You have to make yourself flesh, so to speak. You have to incarnate yourself into the community of the church around you so that you can be loved and love in return. And in so doing, God speaks to you in profound ways when you're willing to do this. Last thing is this about this point here. The third way I think God speaks is through your stillness. Now this is the one I really wanna focus on for just a second. Because God speaks when we get quiet. And I think about our world, I think about our culture. I think we live in an anti-quiet, anti-stillness culture. We live in a world that's constantly moving, bouncing from thing to thing. You know what I've noticed? God rarely, if never, speaks between scrolls on my phone. I've yet to hear the voice of God when I'm watching a series on Netflix or my favorite team play or when I'm browsing the internet. I've yet to hear God speak in those moments. God does speak though when I get quiet. The problem is a lot of us are really uncomfortable with silence. And I wanna challenge you as you step into a new season, do you wanna hear God speak? program silence into your life. Some of you young people in the room, you need this as much or more than anybody because you've, you've grown up in a world with a device in your hand since before you can remember. You have a screen always on. In fact, I know young people who can't sleep without music playing. They fall asleep to TV shows. They have music playing in the background because the silence is too much for them to bear. Can I just challenge you for your own health? But also, if you want to hear God speak, you're going to have to get comfortable with silence. Maybe that starts off with just 30 seconds of quiet. Maybe you work your way up to a minute, two minutes, five minutes of silence, just sitting there saying, God, I want to hear from you. Do you have anything to say? Speak to me. God wants to speak. We have to make space to listen. That's the first thing. God wants to speak, but he will only speak to those who listen. Number two that comes out of Acts chapter 13 that we learn about stepping into a new season with God is this, that when you say yes to whatever it is that God's going to ask you to do, expect opposition. That's what Acts 14 or Acts 13 details for us, is that everywhere Paul and Barnabas go, they face and encounter opposition. People oppose them at every turn. No one is waiting at the different cities that they go to with open arms saying, oh wow, you're finally here, we've been expecting you. And yet sometimes Christians think, or people who are considering Christianity think, that if they give their lives to Christ, the whole basis of it means that somehow God's going to make everything go better, that the, the, the sun is going to come out from behind the clouds, that all the traffic is going to part off of the road and all the lights are going to go green and life will just be smooth sailing from here. But for those of us who have followed God for quite some time, we understand that that's not true, that when you take new ground for God, there is always opposition. 
I grew up playing basketball. It was my sport. I was passionate about basketball. Trouble was, I didn't get to play much for different various reasons throughout high school, and which meant I, I, I rode the bench quite a lot. And I became somewhat familiar with riding the pine, as they say. And uh, here's the interesting thing I could tell you about sitting the bench. When you sit the bench at a game, you're as close to the game as you could possibly be without actually being in the game. You're right there on the court side. You see all of the, I mean, no one has a better view than you. You're right there. You can hear everything that the coach is saying. You're in the team huddles. You get to congratulate the players as they're coming off the floor into timeouts. Like you're, you're as close to being in the game without actually being in the game. Now, here's one of the things that I've learned. You already know this, but I'll, I'll point it out anyway. You want to know what never happened while I was sitting on the bench in one of my many, many basketball games that I set the bench for? You know what never happened? The defense. Not once did the defender ever come over beside the bench, break down, and start guarding me. <laughs> never, never once did the opposing coach call a defensive play that was geared towards stopping me on the bench. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They paid no attention to me at all until I checked into the game. Amen. When I got off the bench and into the game, suddenly the defense is aware that I'm there. And now I'm being guarded. Now I'm being opposed in a way that I was not being opposed just moments ago sitting on the bench. Do you see where I'm coming from? There's a lot of believers who are sitting on the bench. They sit in rooms like this, and they're as close to the action as you can possibly get without actually being in the game. And when you say, all right, God, it's a new year, it's a new season, I want to hear from you, and God speaks and he says, I want you to go to counseling. I want you to start up a, a habit of daily scripture reading. I, I want you to put this into practice or that into practice, or I want you to ask forgiveness from that person or this person or whatever it may be that he asks you to do. You're going to face opposition bank on it. Why? Because you just checked into the game. The enemy, your enemy, who opposes you and your God at every turn, did not care much about what you were doing when you were sitting the bench. That's because you weren't really in the game. But the moment you say yes to God, the moment you say, all right, God, start moving in me, working in me, working through me, he's going to pay attention and he's going to begin opposing you. Years ago, and my church is well familiar with this, so I'll kind of give you the backstory. I, I um, developed a porn habit around 13 years old. Quite accidentally, I won't go into the whole story of how that, that happened. It wasn't my intention to start such a habit, but it began from, I don't know, age 12, 13, and on. Honestly, I, I thank God I did not live in the day and age where I had the internet in my pocket. In fact, for many years, uh, the internet wasn't even a thing. I, I didn't know anything about it. In my late teenage years, early 20s, that started to kind of come around and it took the, the addiction to a new level. But for many years, I would just try to find pornography wherever I could get my hands on it. I remember standing in the mall 
the bookstore, the mall, they used to have bookstores in the mall. It's funny, speaking of no one liking to read books, there are no bookstores in the mall anymore. I don't know if you remember B. Dalton or Walden books that used to be in the mall. Many of you old schoolers are nodding your head. I would go stand in there at the magazine rack wishing I had the courage to reach up to the top row to grab a Playboy magazine that I did not have the courage to grab. Why? Because I was a pastor's son and I didn't have much fear of God, but I had a lot of fear of my dad. And my fear was that no sooner when I grab this magazine will there be someone come up to me and say, oh, hey, Whit George, Pastor Willie George's son, what are you doing with porn? My dad would find out I would die and that's how it would go. (laughs) So literally I would stand there looking for porn magazines that someone had stuffed into another magazine. That's how desperate I was. My family would go to the mall, I would just make a beeline to the bookstore. That's what I would do. Rarely was the occasion that I found anything, but I desperately wanted to. I met my wife, Heather, in my early 20s. We dated for about a year. I I still remember sitting in my apartment. She is sharing some things with me about her financial situation. We're now talking about getting married, and she's saying, well, you need to know this. She's letting me know about some debt that she has that's going to impact us if we get married. And I'll never forget sitting there thinking, okay, she's told me kind of the worst thing about her. I'm going to tell her the worst thing about me. So I proceed to open up and say, I have a porn addiction. We talk about it, and I make a commitment to her because we're getting married that I'm going to stop looking at pornography, and it wasn't anything that I, it wasn't like I had never wanted to stop before. I'd wanted to stop countless times before, but I just, I didn't, I didn't have the willpower to do it. So I made a commitment to Heather, I'm gonna give this up, I'm going to stop this. And I firmly believe it's a, a, a God-led, God-directed decision to do that. No sooner do I make that decision and within a week or two, I'm out playing softball with uh, practicing for our, our church softball league. I was on a team with a bunch of friends, and we were out practicing, and everybody else had left. I didn't have my car. My, I, I don't remember. Someone had just dropped me off or whatever, and Heather is uh, my, my future fiancé, or maybe even possibly my fiancé at the time, is going to come pick me up. So while I'm standing there, she's running late. I'm walking around the parking lot, just kind of waiting on her to show up. I happen to see this trash just kind of blowing through. And what does it happen to be? The crumpled up pages of a porn magazine. Just like, you got to be kidding me. A couple of weeks later, I was at my apartment. I lived there with my brother-in-law. He was out that evening. I was at home alone, went downstairs to get the mail out of the mailbox, turned the key, unlocked the mailbox, and there inside... In the wrapper is a Playboy magazine that I did not order. Clearly, the mailman put it in the wrong mailbox. That never happened to me before. (laughs) When I wanted to look at porn, I could not find it. But now that I've checked into the game, porn comes looking for me. When you say yes to whatever it is that God's going to ask you to do, you should expect 
opposition. I told my church this, I'll tell you the same thing. Some of you are making a determination this year to read scripture, to spend time in prayer. Some of you moms, you're going to say, I'm going to wake up early before the kids wake up. I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to spend time with God and read scripture. Just bank on the fact that your kids will wake up early on that day. (laughs) It will happen. You'll make a determination to tithe. God will put a number in your heart to give over and above what you've normally been given. You should expect financial opposition. It's just the way the kingdom works. You have an enemy, but he doesn't pay attention to you till you check into the game. And I'm telling you this in advance so that when it happens, you can say, I knew you'd try that devil. I knew you'd come at me. I knew you would oppose me, but just let me tell you, this only resolves my will even further. You will not stop me. You will not break me. You will not deter me. I'm pressing on. To do what it is that God's called me to do, which brings me to point number three, when you're stepping into a new season with God, you've got to remember this, that God always, somebody say always, God always finishes what he starts. I want to remind you of how the story ends. Let's just kind of think this through again. The Holy Spirit, through seeking and worshiping and fasting, speaks to the church and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul who would later become Paul, for the work to which I've called them. They go. They start doing exactly what the Holy Spirit directs them to do. They face immense opposition. Can I just tell you, church, and I want you to just consider this, the opposition that they face far, and I'm, I'm not trying to, how would I want to say this? I'm, I, minimize isn't the word I'm looking for, but, but there's, a, there's another word where, where, it, where essentially what I'm trying to say is that um, I don't, I don't want to make your problem seem petty because I, I, I don't believe that. But on the other hand, I want us to consider that the opposition that they faced is far greater than the opposition that we face. In the sense that to date, while there have been people who have have not liked my preaching, no one's tried to physically restrain me, or later in Acts chapter 14, they try to kill Paul for his preaching. That, that's yet to happen to me. So they're facing opposition, and by all accounts, it, it doesn't look like what the Holy Spirit has tasked them to do is going all that well. Look again at, um, let's see, where, where do we want to pick this up? Let's look at verse 49. It says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. That simply means that they preached wherever they went. They're spreading the word of the Lord through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. In other words, these are the people of influence. The people who have power, the people who seem to be something in the city, the people with titles, the people with prestigious resumes and backgrounds, those people, they stir them up. 
And in so doing, it stirs up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they expelled them from their region, like here, let us escort you off the premises. Get out of here. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And I want you to notice verse 52, because if, if we're being honest, this makes no sense. Nothing is worked out. A few people have believed and some miracles did happen, yes. But by and large, people reject them. They reject them and their message, verse 52, concludes, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now what? How does that make sense? How could you, after being rejected, be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit? Why would you be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit? Here, here's the answer. Because they know the end of the story. They know how this ends. See, Christians are people who have seen dead ends and know that they serve a God who specializes in parting the waters of the Red Sea, of raising the dead. I mean, there is no greater dead end than a crucifixion. And yet Jesus, after being crucified, was raised three days later. So what that tells them and what that should tell us is that church, no matter what we see, no matter what seems to be playing out in the immediate circumstance right around us, we know that God will complete and finish what he starts. It may not happen in our lifetime. It may not happen in the, the present reality where we get to see and taste and experience all of it, but it will happen. Paul and Barnabas had no way of knowing that 2,000 years later, there would be a group of people gathered on a cold night in Chicago simply because they took the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. You and I are the fruit of their labor. What the Holy Spirit began in Acts chapter 13, he's continuing here tonight. And that ought to give you confidence that though empires rise and fall and kings and politicians and important people come and go, the word of God stays faithful. For those of you who have been praying for a son or a daughter who is far from God right now, God will finish what he starts. It may not happen next week, it may not happen next month, it may not even happen next year, but the seeds of the gospel that have been planted in them, I pray and stand with you that they will not return to God void, but what he began, he will finish. He can do that. See, we look at our situation so often and we think, oh, it's hopeless. What can, what can God do? What would God do? May I remind you that we serve a God who raises the dead, who parts the Red Sea. We serve a God who finishes what he begins. And let me just encourage you with this as I close. Is that the mark of the kingdom of God is not success. The measure of the kingdom of God is not success. 
Our world, our culture, our country measures by success. But the kingdom of God, it does not work in the same way. When we stand before God, what do we want to hear? Well done, thou good, and what? Faithful servant. God is not looking for how successful you can be. He's more interested in how faithful you will be. And so when you face opposition, don't let that opposition fool you into thinking that you're not doing anything or accomplishing anything for God. The measure of God's kingdom has never been about how many or how much, but how faithful you can be. There's one story I love from Isaiah 6. I'll finish here. Where Isaiah, do you remember this story? Isaiah sees God, Isaiah 6. He says, I, see, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he thinks he's going to die because Isaiah knows that no one can see God and live. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, he says, I'm a sinful man, and I'm standing in the presence of a holy God. So an angel goes and grabs a coal from the altar and touches it to Isaiah's lips. He atones for his sin. And then God speaks, and he says, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Do you know this story? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. Send me the favorite text of every missions Sunday. What they often don't read after that is what God sends Isaiah to do. Because if you read Isaiah 6, what God tells Isaiah is, hey, you're going to go speak to a people who are never going to listen to anything that you say. You're going to preach, you're going to preach, you're going to preach, and they're going to reject, reject, reject. They will never hear you or see you. It'll be like you're speaking into the wind. You know what Isaiah's response is? He says, for how long, O Lord? The mark of the kingdom is not fruitfulness. Yes, we want fruitfulness, but it's not, it's not just that. It's faithfulness. Can you be faithful with what God's asked you to do, no matter what opposition you may see? God is looking for faithfulness. I'm convinced if we'll be faithful, God, and leave the rest up to God, God will finish what he starts. He never leaves things. Loose ends, dead ends, it's not his way. So wherever you find yourself, if you feel like, God, I don't see you, it doesn't feel like you're moving or working, just rest in this. God always finishes what he starts. Can I get an amen, Calvary? <laughs> Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word and for speaking to us in this season. Your word is alive, it's powerful, it lives within us. I pray for revelation to hit the hearts of your people tonight. Lord, in the areas where we need to say yes to you, speak, we will listen. In fact, like young Samuel said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's the posture of this house. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We want to hear from you. And as we hear from you, we commit right now to say yes. Whatever it is you call us to, whatever new ground you ask us to take, whatever difficult challenge you ask us to take up, Lord, we choose to say yes. We will not be deterred. We will not be held back. We will not be bothered by what our enemy does to us, Lord. Lord, we will look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, for working in and through us in 2022. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, 
Amen. God bless you guys.